So my understanding of God was limited to what I saw in religion. Then I come home and talk about Abba, and my mother gives me a peculiar stare and says, do you know what Abba means, Rob? I said, yes, Mum, Agnetha, Bjorn, Benny, and Annafried. And she looked at me quite blankly and said, Abba is a biblical word that describes God as Father. And she said, you do want to honour God with your life, don't you? Now, what could I have said in that moment? I do, I do, I do, I do, I do. Or perhaps, Mama Mia, there she goes again. My, my. So it was me then looking blankly because I didn't understand at age nine what it meant to know God as a father. You see, Richard Dawkins and other atheists would tell us today that our Christian upbringing is an accident of birth. In much the same ways, if we grew up in Delhi, we might be Hindu. If we grew up in Jakarta, we might be Muslim. Here in a Western nation, we embrace a Christian faith that he would believe is detrimental, and yet we believe is good for us. An atheist might see us being conditioned or indoctrinated, and yet don't we do that all the time, according to what we believe is good for our kids? We bring them to the football and dress them up in coloured clothing. We don't tell our kids they can go to school if they feel like it. We bring them along, enrol them, make them come. And how many of you parents haven't threatened to throw your kids in the car in their undies if they throw a school refusal tantrum? But yet somehow the logic is different with church. We shouldn't take them along or indoctrinate them. Yet if we do it in a healthy way and we raise people to be critical thinkers, they come to a point where they find and understand that faith is personal. I discovered that at age 16. I committed my life to Christ and I realised that Galatians 4 describes what was happening in me. That through a spiritual awakening, we're in a place where we can call God Abba or Father. And we move from religion to relationship and there's a transforming difference that is made in us. I found a peace that the Bible says passes understanding. I couldn't describe it. There's an overwhelming joy. And you see, there's a line in the sand that we all have to cross at some time in our lives. It's a line that we cross from death to life. And I shouldn't have been afraid of death because at 16, you might think, well, who needs to worry about that? Haven't you got plenty of time? Most 16-year-olds are fit and healthy. They've got their life ahead of them. But there's a choice that the Bible inescapably puts to all of us. We have to decide whether we will accept Jesus for ourselves. There is a gift of salvation that's universally on offer, and yet we have to unwrap it by choosing through our free will, energized by the awakening power of the Spirit to say yes to God's knock on the door of our hearts. Of course, I'm still not afraid of death, I want to get cremated when I die. It'll be my last chance at a smoking hot body. <laughs> but you see, when I did become a Christian, I didn't really get it. I thought now 
that I was honouring God and in a relationship where he would then look after me. He would bless me and provide for me, and I read about blessing in the Bible. But rather than seeing it on God's terms, it was a little more on mine. Your kingdom come, my will be done. Isn't that what it says? When a friend of mine, a little older, said, you know, I believe I've got gifts. God wants me to use those gifts to serve others. And he would go and have a cup of tea with a little old lady every fortnight. He'd mow her lawn to look after her. And I thought he was crazy. I'm too busy for that, I thought. I've got this Christian life where God is in my corner now and I'm going to go and conquer the world. Well, truth be told, I couldn't even conquer myself. I hadn't understood at that age what it meant to serve God. When that little old lady died, of course, she had no friends and family. That's why he'd gone and visited her and she left him everything. It was her house, cash, in today's equivalent worth well over a million dollars. From that, from that moment on, I was on the lookout for old people. <laughs> I was going to start this great lawn mowing business and God was going to look after me. And so when a couple from church was going on holidays and they asked if I would look after their lawn, I didn't even size it up. I said yes immediately. When I realised it was an acre and a half perched on the side of a hill, God was having a laugh perhaps at my expense. <laughs> Thus begun a journey about working the relationship where I would do his bidding. I would do what he asked me to do. And that's all good and well for me, maybe for some of you who have heard this gospel message, who can enjoy a relationship with a God who speaks to us, with a God who compels us, who gives us gifts by which we serve, we make a difference, and we find enormous fulfillment. But what about those who never hear? What about those who have maybe a different kind of religious upbringing or no religion at all, and yet no relationship with a God who wants to reach out to them? Well, the Bible's answer to that is the Great Commission. It asks us to go into all the world and make disciples, not just to be disciples, but to make them of all nations. And there's an urgency by which we would want to go out of our comfort zone and share the message of the good news with others, not to judge or condemn, but to simply show that God invites everyone to come to know him. God's blessing and favour is there without discrimination. It's for all people. And yet, not everyone will respond. Not everyone will come to faith. I wonder what that looks like in your world, where there are people around you who don't yet know faith, haven't met God or encountered him? Is it content for us to perhaps presume that someone else will share faith with them? Is it all right to suppose that maybe God would do his bidding and work in their lives if, if perhaps he wants them to join him in eternity? Is it too easy for us to crawl back into our comfort zone and pass off the responsibility because we're too busy? Or maybe because we're all right, Jack. We know where we're going when we die. But what does it compel us to do for others? I asked a question in a class I was teaching once. There were some mostly young adults present. I said, so what does this require of us in terms of a world out there where there are millions and millions of people 
who if the Bible is correct are going to a Christless eternity because they have not experienced relationship. Someone piped up and said, that sounds a bit harsh. Don't you think God is a God of love and that he would want to look after them? I said, yes, but don't you think God would want to look after them by sending you? You see, when we start out believing that God owes us something, we miss the fact that God instead has started out giving us something. It's an antidote to the eternal condition by which with the entry of sin into the world, we are empowered with a free will to choose to reject God. And sin at its most basic level is just living independently of God. It's living for self. And it's a sad state of affairs when many of us in our Christian faith, our journey with God, have lived that sort of a life without calling it sin. Now, I'm not suggesting that we are sinners if we're Christians. The whole message of Christian redemption is that God forgives us. We have access to eternal life. But we can trend back toward living selfishly in a self-focused way. Paul himself, the great apostle of the New Testament, said in Romans 7 that there was still a nature within him that's warring against this spiritual life. It's like the two competing natures. He says, I want to do good, but there's this evil at work that prevents me, it stops me. He was conscious that it's not all smooth sailing when you become a Christian. There's still a choice that you need to make to cooperate with God and his plan for your life. And it's a difficult thing, but I guess which of those two natures do you feed? When you're not feeding your spiritual development, it's very easy to trend toward selfish living and to be on the same sort of path, but now a Christianized version where looking after self is at the same time pulling away from God. If you don't look after your garden, the weeds grow. I'm no great gardener, but I have to look after it to stay on top of it. It's a little the same with our spiritual life. What we need to do, of course, is to cultivate it, but not with a sense of striving and working in our own strength. It's cooperating with God who reaches out to us, who wants to speak to us, who wants to help us. And wouldn't we want that same relationship to be experienced by others? If there is a true joy in our Christian faith, we experience the great joy of living, then that is something that's a gift that we want to bring to people in our world. So people start out in a world that is full of evil because sin is at work, and yet God's plan is to redeem people, to give them hope, to give them a future, a future that's brighter than they could have imagined. What I've experienced, what some of you have experienced, and he's saying, would you do my bidding? Would you be on mission with me? Would you help others to experience the good news? So back to that class, one guy pipes up and he says, well, I believe everyone is born in sin and that's why I believe that they will all go to hell unless they experience God's love. And he sat there smugly presuming that others would go and do the work, others would make it happen. God had never led him to then bring one person to faith. I said, I think you're missing something here. God's plan is about good news. It's about reaching people and winning them. And we went on with the discussion and asked, well, what about children, for example, who die? 
What about children who've never heard and have never had a chance to respond? He said, well, no one's owed the gift of salvation. He said, I agree with you that we have a mission. He said, but how am I supposed to know who's going to respond? And I'm not responsible for those little kids. I said, all right, you want to serve God? Yeah, absolutely. That's why I'm in this class. I said, so you're sitting across the table from a young couple who've lost a child to sudden infant death syndrome. They're crying, they're distressed, and they're asking the question, will I see my little boy again in heaven? What are you going to say to them? He said, I'm going to say the same thing. He says, I don't want to be harsh. But he says, the truth is the truth. We're all born in sin, and there is an eternal destiny that awaits. Well, you should have seen everyone in the room. They want to get their claws out and scratch at him. Because what was missing was the heart of love of God in the midst of his perfect judgment of sin, where his focus is not on what eternity might await, what path lies ahead. God wants to invade our lives in the now moment with his gift of eternity. And I want us to look at this ideal versus reality and how it plays out in a passage of the Bible I want to draw your attention to the screen as we have a look at a passage from 1 Timothy chapter 2. Let's just have a read of it together and see what sense it might make of our dilemma. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgiving, lots of kinds of praying, be made for all people. For who? What does it say? For all people. Say it with me again. All people. God's desire is for us to pray, for us to be about his mission for the sake of all people. And he goes on and says that we should pray for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. You see, it's in our interests. It's for the quality of our life. You discover the joy of living as a Christian servant of God where your interests are not about yourself. It's not focused on a life of self-indulgence or of God blessing you on your terms. You serve his terms and it goes well for you. And this passage is asking us to be concerned for all people. It goes on, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Saviour who desires, there it is again, all people. Say it again. All people. He desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. The ideal is that all will be saved. The reality is they won't all respond. Let's read on. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ, whoops, gone. There we go. The man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Namely, in the first century, when Jesus came to this earth and he died in the place of everyone. Of everyone, in theory, there's the universal offer of salvation, but knowing that not all respond. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, says Paul. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Paul, on mission, for the sake of the call, that he wanted to give his life to. So what do we see in this passage? There are three questions. 
There are three questions that are answered by it in regard to what it is that we should do about those who've never heard the gospel. Firstly, the question is, prayer for all, really? Will we pray for all? Will you pray for all the people in your world? Would you even pray for those in authority? Do you pray for politicians, even the ones you don't like? Or do you spend more time criticizing and complaining or having opinions about world leaders, about problems that you see? God calls us to be less critical and more prayerful. When we're on mission, we have an outward focus. We want to make a difference, not by controlling, not by being dictatorial in our tone or our attitude, but just having an outward focus that's motivated by the love of God to reach out. And our mission makes us intentional. Praying for specific purposes is largely centered on God going to work and bringing change in the lives of others. You see, my receptivity to the gospel was because people were praying for me. I encountered the gospel as I saw miracle after miracle. God, just amazing healings at work. God, God touching the lives of people who were healed of cancer. My own father healed of a crippling back complaint with x-rays to prove it and no pain since. And I know that doesn't always happen, but God was getting my attention because my mother was praying for me, other people were praying for me. And who are you praying for today? Whose attention is God getting because you pray with fervency that his mission would be extended to that one life and then another? So as a relatively new Christian, discovering what it was to serve God and his will, I felt called to get up out of bed in the middle of winter and to go and pray for the people in a particular street in the suburb in which I lived. And I wrestled a little bit because it was cold, it was winter, it was even wet some days. No thought of getting distracted by gardens or what people were up to, it was so dark I couldn't see. But I'd parade up and down the street and I'd pray with outstretched hand that God would impact the lives of people, break addictions. He would go to the heart of strife and that his love would compel people and draw them to him day after day for about four weeks until I felt this burden lift and it was okay to stop. The following Sunday, I overheard a conversation between a couple of people. Do you know that I met three new Christians last week? Gee, that's cool, says the other guy. No, no, but the thing is, they were all from the same street. So I come up and say, excuse me, which street? I didn't need to ask. It was, of course, the one I'd been praying for. God wanted to work through me because maybe these are some of the people who would never otherwise have heard the gospel, who would never otherwise have had a chance to respond. And even so, I didn't become the world's greatest soul winner. I got focused at times on my own agenda. I got easily put off when someone asserted rather too strongly once that they didn't want any of my bleep, bleep Christianity, only to find out within months. The person's body was trapped in a car wrapped around a tree and he died a cruel death at a young age. And you know, I could have done more. And it got me thinking in that sobering moment of what God was wanting of me. Not to further my own career or my agenda, despite having figured I'd ticked the boxes, here I was again, pulling back and worrying about me. From that moment on, I wanted to share my faith 
passionately with others. I went and began to start talking about Jesus with people at every opportunity. I was a university student sitting in a class one day and a guy says to me, okay, I'm ready to respond now. I had two minutes before the lecturer walked in to seize the moment and to pray and help him in that moment cross the line that I'd once crossed to find eternal life. That young man went on to become an ex-Buddhist Cambodian preacher of the gospel who is a fired-up, passionate Christian is leading Cambodians to Jesus in a church in Melbourne today. Other people, and you don't know what God is going to do with them for all of eternal good, all the eternal good of more people coming to faith. Person after person, you don't know how many hundreds or thousands they will reach. But you will only know as you have a go. And you watch what God, God does with them as he unfolds this destiny before your very eyes. The second question that this passage asks is not only are we going to pray for all, but is salvation for all? It really answers the question in the affirmative, and it speaks to us of a mission, our desire to see people come to faith. It makes it rather personal. It's a personal faith that's on offer that not everybody receives. Now, let's be sure about this, 2 Peter 3.9 tells us that God's desire is that everyone should repent, that everyone should come to faith. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 11, it says, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared everywhere to all people. God's desire is to be at work for all to come, and yet there are many who would tell us today that Christianity is for the select few. It's for those God elects. It's for those he wants to come to faith, and I can guarantee you that most of the people who follow that line are not ardent sharers of their own personal Christianity. They're not talking about the need for Jesus because they somehow firmly believe that God will only work in some and not others. So what's the destiny for these people who don't respond, I said, to one person who believed that line? He says, oh, it's go straight to hell. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Said, so you mean that you're not going to share your faith? You don't really believe in God's salvation. But then he says, oh, I don't know who's going to come to faith. So when I got a chance, I tell them about Jesus. Didn't take too long to find out. He wasn't telling a lot of people about Jesus that particular year. You see, the universal offer is not one that's universally received. I want to get back to this problem of the love of God versus the justice of God. Let's unpack this for a moment. If God is truly just, then he must be perfect in his justice. The very nature of being God is that if justice is an essential attribute of his divinity, he should be perfect in the exercise of justice. What would you think of a judge in one of our courts who excused a criminal? who just pardoned them when they'd clearly done wrong, who didn't bring them to justice, you would think they were corrupt. And yet for God to be perfect, he must enact his justice, and namely that every single person born with this sense of self-focus, what the Bible calls sin, that every person needs to be judged, and yet God doesn't want to do it. But there's a dilemma that in him being a perfect judge, 
He must judge justly, otherwise heaven is not a perfect place. And the solution is that God is also perfect love. God is perfect love, and he showed it by sending Jesus Christ to die in our place. The Bible teaches that he, Jesus, who knew no sin because he was God, he came to this earth, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, and he became sin in our place. He took our sin and the punishment for it in his body because he didn't have to die for himself. He hadn't committed any sin. Our sin taken in his body, he's nailed to the cross. While being perfectly divine as God, he was also a human. He'd come to the earth and taken on human form so he could be a like-for-like -like substitute in our place. And that is the loving act of God that he provided the way of escape for all of us. That God who is perfectly loving, he is not perfectly loving at the expense of his perfect justice. And that is why also one day, a day of reckoning will come for all of us. We must stand before him and give an account of our lives. So whilst God would desire salvation, and as we said before in that verse, his grace is available to everyone. Whilst God is motivated by love for all people to respond, he must one day judge the earth. He must one day judge every person who gives an account for what they've done with the choice that they have to make. That is why it saddens me deeply, and I know it does so many of us. There are people out there who will never be brought to the verge of that choice. There are people out there who will not have the chance to respond, because some of us have become so comfortable that our cry is no longer, Jesus, use me, Jesus, send me. Rather, it becomes for many of us, Jesus, bless me. Let's look at the final question in this passage. The final question that is again answered within us. In addition to do we pray for all, is salvation for all, make it more personal, is Jesus for all? If Jesus is truly the bridge to the Father, if he is the one whose death paves the way for reconciliation to the Father God, then that requires a personal response. It requires people to actually be brought to the place of choice by us, to not just proclaim the general good news of salvation, but to help people understand that Jesus died for them. And how did it work for you? Maybe you had a line in the sand moment, like me at 16, where you knew you didn't just grow into it. You knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that there was one point in your life where if you died, you could not be sure of where you were going. You could not be sure of your eternal destiny. And then you've crossed the line, experienced the peace, the joy of God, and maybe you haven't lived perfectly either, but you've walked in relationship with a God who grows you day by day. He takes you on a journey. And like with me, still discovering the joy of that relationship years on, it's about trying to honour God with my life, doing the best that I can, but it's in partnership with Him, His Spirit awakening me every day to what He wants.
what his mission is. Is that the case for some people in this room today? And is it maybe this week to be the case for people who are not yet filling these seats? Is there not some good news that awaits for people around Launceston who still haven't had a chance to hear the gospel? Is it not possible there'll be people right across Australia, right across the nations of this earth, who yet need to hear the gospel by us and churches filled with people who know the good news going and declaring the truth that Jesus came and died, the passage says, as a ransom for all. You know, Jesus himself said that he came to be a ransom for all people. We see it in this passage. He paid the price for the sins of everyone on the planet, potentially, by being willing to go to the cross because he qualified to take the penalty in his body for all sin, for anything that would separate us from the love of God. And as I draw to a close, I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward this morning. I wonder what difference this makes for you and I. Because people out there in the nations of the world who've never heard the gospel, they seem rather far flung. Start with the people in your cricket club. Start with the people in your neighbourhood as you talk to them over the back fence. Talk to the people in the school car park when you hang around and stay a few minutes and ask, Lord, who do you want me to come and speak to today? Seize the moments of opportunity to talk to people about the stuff of life and then bring them to this personal encounter with Jesus. What happens to those who've never had a chance to hear the gospel? I believe that to an extent we need to leave it to the justice of God to know that even if we don't go, even if we don't share, there are others who will come. But we need to pray we need to be convinced that the salvation for all also means Jesus wants to reveal himself to all. The young man who sat in that class that night and sat there quite confident about his theological perspective, he was lacking a pastoral heart. He was lacking the reflection of the compelling love of God that would want to draw people. And I was messing with him a bit. I waited until he'd just given himself enough rope to hang himself. And I said to him, what if I told you that this young couple who lost their child was a real couple? What if I told you it was a real situation? What if I told you it was one of the pastors in this church? The room went quiet. And they all stopped and realized, this is real. The people who are sitting there are looking for answers and for hope. And of course, the hope for adults and people all over the world is that we would share Jesus with them because they have the power of choice. And I drew that class to a passage in 1 Corinthians 7, 14. and talked about the fact that believing adult parents can make the child holy. It's like there's a covering. It's like just a little bit of a a, a, a revelation of the love of God where he makes provision for young children to come to faith because of the holiness of mum and dad but are there some mums and dads in your world that you need to reach with a little more compulsion a bit more energy 
some of you need to respond to the knock of God on the door of your heart to step into ministry, to develop and grow yourself so that you could one day maybe reach the nations. That you could invest in going on a short-term trip and, and being able to share Jesus with, with people. Whether you give yourself a long time or a short time, whether you do it afar or here locally, there's a call for each one of us to respond to what we've heard today, to respond to the price that was paid, Jesus the ransom for all people, but not all of them have yet responded. I wonder if you'd bow your heads, if you'd just close your eyes, and I'll lead you in prayer today. Maybe you're sitting here and you've never responded. You know, going to this place is a great context in which to find faith. But it doesn't make you a Christian all by itself. Maybe you're here today and you need to cross the line from death to life. Maybe you're here today and today is the day which you'll make that choice. You'll respond. Will you say, Jesus, I thank you for hanging on that cross and being a ransom for me. But I know that you've got a plan for my life. I know that you would want to send me. Would you say yes today? I'm going to ask that if that's you, you'd step out of your seat at the conclusion of this service. Introduce yourself to one of the team that would love to pray for you. And seize the moment of having you know with all certainty where you are going when you die. But yes, God's plan is much bigger than just that. It's not just about us. Maybe there's others that would like to join for prayer today and say, God, would you use me? God, I'm sorry for holding back. I'm sorry for being half-hearted. I'm sorry that I haven't prayed for all. I'm sorry, Lord, that I haven't been your mouthpiece to bring the gospel message of salvation that you would desire for everyone because you love on them. You want to draw them to yourself. So, Lord Jesus, I pray today, Lord, for all those within the sound of my voice, Father, the people whose hearts that you are knocking on, they will open the door of their heart to you and find a relationship, a relationship by which they would walk with you, by which they would do your bidding, by which they would honour you with their lives, their gifts, their service. And Father, may we be a people who would go. May we be a people that you would send. May we be a people who would make a difference in the lives of people around about us, compelling them to come to faith. There would be a people who would go to the nations. There would be a people who would engage in community outreach and activities that would help more and more people to know Christ. Father, forgive us for the times we've been judgmental. Forgive us for the times that we've made the mission about something else. I pray that we would be reflectors of your love as we're compelled to go. People would see you shining out of our lives. They would see that compelling love that's just overflowing see them come to know you. Lord, I just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to hand back to the worship team this morning. At the close, I'd love to join with those praying and pray for you. If you're here today, maybe you just have a, a simple need, a need of healing. Let's believe that God wants to touch you, to heal you today. That God is in the business of answering prayer. But please don't leave this place without responding to his offer of saving grace without responding to the need to be a spirit-filled, world-changing agent of Christ. God bless you. It's been a pleasure to be here with you this morning.